today is a day uh, that we're going to do a little remembering. Uh, a couple of things that we're going to do uh, have to do with uh, tomorrow. I want to talk to you about uh, some issues that have to do with uh, some important matters about tomorrow, uh, which will be, uh, as you know, uh, Halloween, but uh, there are some other things we want to look at. But as you know, we've prayed over the last uh, few weeks and l- really uh, very intensely in some areas about Dave Fatkin and his, I mean, going to the brink and uh, coming back. And uh, I saw him a few weeks ago, and we talked a little bit about uh, have them share a few minutes. Uh, we, we, th- come on, Dave and Eden, come on up here. This is going to be really free wheeling here. Uh, we're not sure exactly what it's uh, doing. We've talked about it, about the matter of how their faith and how their life uh, was, ex- how they've uh, experienced change and like that for this. But this is Dave right here, and this is Eden, and they'll, they'll tell you uh, the details. Here's, here's a microphone, one of you sit there, and I'll give you this other one. Uh, they're going to share with you a few minutes uh, about the literal miracle, and you guys have been a part of this as we've prayed as a class and as we prayed as a friends about this, so uh, we're going to turn it over to them. So here, Eden, you take that. Sorry, got to turn it on. There. Yeah, well, I hadn't done this in a while. Yeah, that's right. I think. People quit taking microphones away from me a long time ago. <laughs> and, and my wife's paper is eight and a half by 11, and mine is, if it isn't on the. Okay. <laughs> dialectic, kids. Here's the dialectic. There you go. Is uh, you spend eight days, eight or 10 days with the tube down your throat, your vocal cords don't work that well anymore. It's getting better. Yeah. Um, the other side of that dialectic coin is. My mouth doesn't stop moving since I got out of the hospital. I mean, it's like, and eventually there's just nothing coming out. And she told me for years, do you think people like the sound of your voice as much as yours? Uh, as you do? And I'm like, uh, apparently not. So I got my little piece of paper and kind of went, if it isn't on this, stay away from it. Because I just got too much in my head. And uh, I, I told Cliff, uh, we're both guitar players. Um, I grew up in the 70s when people did these 25-minute jams on Leonard Skinner, Freebird. And when you knew it was time to quit was when somebody grabbed the fretboard and said, stop. <laughs> so I told him, just grab the fretboard and say, you've had enough. Um, so what I want to share with you is uh, not as much about the whole hospital thing as how I saw God working through it. Um, I, I never did any of this why stuff. Man, in a room like this, everybody's gone or had somebody go and stay a long time or not come out of it. Um, We'll get to that in a second. But mine was, I went in on a Monday. Apparently I'd had a heart attack a week before that. And uh, they did a stent within about an hour. And the next morning or that night or something, there's a lot of stuff that's foggy with me. Um, I was looking at my cardiologist's eyes, and he was half smiling and half intense. And the way this ended was I had a one-inch hole in the septum of my heart, which ain't a good thing. And apparently it's a real statistical anomaly. Um, got the word from a couple cardiologists and docs that cardiologists see this one to three times in their careers, maybe. So I'm not a doctor, but I'm smart enough to go, they don't have a real strong statistical base to know where I'm going with this. Um, so we're, you know, for me, it's virgin ground. And uh, bottom line is I get the stent. They're trying to let me heal up as much as they can before they do the big surgery. And uh, I was never, okay, in, in parts, here's the way this goes down. So the big surgery gets moved forward a little bit because I wasn't doing well. 
They didn't wait three weeks, they waited two. Uh, and then I, I do this eight days of sleep where everybody's all sympathetic for David because he almost died. And I'm like, I slept through it. I'm like, <laughs> PTSD, you know? It's like we've come to church twice the last two weeks and had to leave because she's... <laughs> I get it. Uh, well, not really. I don't get it. But um, So the, the whole hospital ordeal is three parts, and um, I miss the one that everybody thinks was so hard. And I say that thankfully. Um, I had a little bit of apprehension about, you know, I was walking around ICU for three weeks before I had surgery or two, and I'm looking at all these old guys hugging this bear, coughing their lungs out, you know, 36 hours post-chest crack. And I never did any of that. I mean, I like, I woke up eight days later in discomfort, very weak because I couldn't move, you know, like turn over in bed or, um, and, and it, it, you know, you go from that to five steps to 12 steps, not, not that 12 steps, but <laughs> though I could, um, two, 200. And um, so, so here's the stuff without being a comedian that I kind of really want to share about, which is not as much the hospital, but I have seen, God do some incredible things the last few weeks that uh, uh, I've told, I, Cliff came to see me several times, uh, Ken was up there quite a bit, Smith, um, Ken insisted that uh, as he has been for years, you guys all read The Shack nine years ago, I like to read but I never read it, didn't care, um, honestly I tried to read it in the hospital, Ken would ask me when he came to see me, have you cracked the cover on this and I swear, I don't know if it's drugs or emotions or what, but I would read two pages of that and realize I was thinking about something else. So uh, that never worked. I didn't even know that I need that. I'm mostly on point, but that's how you keep from grabbing the fretboard. <laughs> um, Ken gave me the shack and really wanted me to read it, and I'm trust me, I'm staying in a process here that was planned a little bit, but I couldn't read it in the hospital, and uh, I've been out of, out of the hospital about four weeks, not allowed to drive, um, which is Probably a good thing because it wasn't great before I got ill. Uh, <laughs> she drives me everywhere. It's self-preservation. Um, I read the shack. I called. I sent Ken a text one day and said, and this was like on a Friday. I said, I started the shack yesterday at about 12:30 after lunch, and I finished it before I went to bed. And uh, I didn't tell him this, but the last time I did that was Jurassic Park before the movie came out. Um, I was just enthralled by that book. Um, very captivated, and it wasn't as much that it was any huge revelations to me as uh, it reinforced some opinions I'd already come to about the way God works. But one of the things that really hopped out at me and is just stuck in the forefront of my mind is, uh, if, I don't know how many of you read that book, it doesn't matter, I'm not going to run it for you, I'd suggest reading it with an open mind, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit like to skip rocks on the pond in this book while they're interacting with the main, is it protagonist? Did I say that right? Don't use words that you can't be sure they fit. Uh, <clears throat> it's partly fun-loving, and then the main guy in the book, when uh, and he's experienced a gob of tragedy in his life. The main guy in the book, when uh, he starts mellowing out, and there's a thing that happened in his life called the great sorrow. Again, I don't want to ruin the book for you, but it's, a, it's like one of the really bad things that can happen to people in life and losing somebody. And... Uh, he starts getting over that, and they're explaining to him before this all wraps up that, um, and I think it's the Holy Spirit that's telling him it might be Jesus, I don't remember, but it's, they go back to that reference of bouncing rocks, and it's like, your life leaves ripples, 
on the lake. And God uses those ripples to affect other people, which in turn leave ripples and affect other people. And God and the Holy Spirit in Christ are always working through those ripples. And you don't always know how that works. Um, you just don't. Um, what I got really fascinated with, and I, I'm, I'm going to go too long here, but that's just me. Um, and I don't get a chance to do this very often, so hey. Uh, what I got really fascinated with was, uh, I, I will tell you, the, the post-op days I was laying in the hospital, I, I, Cliff came to see me. I, he was like, he was there like on a Sunday when I woke up on Saturday, or was it Saturday? I don't remember, but he walked in and he looked like, you know, just really rattled. And he said, you don't know the scare you gave us. And i like, I really don't. And, okay, as the week goes by, I start hearing this from people, um, nurses and people that came to see me. Is It's like, I kept hearing this thing from people. You're really a miracle. Um, God's not finished with you yet. Now, as days went by, I'm going to tell you, that started crawling all over me, okay? That God's not finished with you yet. Because people that were saying it to me are people that, uh, or somebody would say it to me, and then one of the people that's helping, been helping take care of me, which is I had a lot of friends coming to see me and family. They, you know, we were about to close on, uh, we were about to close on the house we lived in. I wasn't done packing when I went down. Uh, some of y'all finished that for me. Thank you. Um, I mean, I, I know who, but thank you very much. Um, but when I started getting into this God didn't finish with you thing and people start talking about you're really blessed, everybody I look at, I'm seeing friends of mine whom I love that I know had a daughter die in a car wreck, that I know had a wife die of cancer two years ago. It's a way better person than me, okay? And th this really starts messing with your head. Uh, why am, when I, I, I would tell people, I'd say, I'm trying to figure out the why on this, and they go, well, why it happened? You're like, no, I'm beyond that. It's why am I still here? Um, now, this is the part where I will get mushy on. Y'all are going to have to endure this, and that's the way it is. Um, but I'm going to share because I, Cliff kind of half-asked me to do this, asked me to do this a couple weeks ago. Um, I shared something with him that happened to me about two and a half years ago, and it's really rare that I feel like an almost audible voice from God about, you need to do this. And I will tell you, I was at, uh, I was at a homecoming for Christian Heritage Academy's basketball um, there was a lady there whose husband is 39 years old. Her husband was uh, the basketball coach and had my daughter in volleyball. And she got semi-famous because her husband hit a half-court shot at a Thunder game and immediately started talking about it was going to her cancer treatment. Her name is Jenny Kufal. And uh, <clears throat> for about a year and a half, she was struggling with cancer. Well, after that half-court shot, I called Jenny Carlson with... Uh, the Daily Oklahoma and said, there's more to this story than you know. You need to dig into it. And she said, I don't get to decide which stories I do, but I'll make sure our sports editor knows about it. And uh, <laughs> I got an email back from her that night because she had been on ABC and CNN National by the evening. And she's talking about how God's working in her life. Okay. Now, I said all that to say, um, I'm at a Christian Heritage Academy basketball game. <clears throat> and Jenny at the time was in remission. She was getting mobbed by all her friends like she always does. And I hear this voice from God that just says, go talk to her. I don't even think I've told her this. I did? Okay. It's probably good. Um, yeah. Um, I, and I'm going, there's all a bunch of people around her, and I'm just like, God, I don't even know her. I don't have any idea what I'm supposed to say to her. And uh, it's like, 
you get this strong feeling you'll know when you get there. Everybody gets this once in a while, you know. And uh, I just kind of went up to Jenny. Like I said, she's in remission. And everybody cleared out and walked off when I got there. <laughs> Could be a lot of things. But I've never talked to her before. I never talked to her after that. And she knows my daughter a little bit. And I said, you don't know me. I told her who I was. And I said, I just feel really strongly impressed to tell you I have a lot of unchurched friends that became aware of you. And you talking about how God works in your life. And they still ask me months later how you're doing because they think I know you. I know your family a little bit. And I told Cliff, um, <laughs> I just said, I want you to know how you're handling this is making a huge difference in God's kingdom. And uh, she kind of looked at me like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> like, who is this guy? And I think he's half crazy. Um, nothing miraculous came out of that that I ever saw. But I know later that week she found out her remission was over. Okay, and about three months later, she was gone. And I thought about that a lot as time went by and go, did God have me do that for her? Like somebody you don't know came up to you and said you're making a difference? <clears throat> or did God do it for me to know I could make a difference, whether it's settled with her or not? Hmm, okay, my wheels turn like that. So back to me in the hospital, a few days before that, Eden and I were talking about Jenny and how... Dick Greenlee called me a few days after I got home from the hospital and we had a long talk and we're not that close but I like the dude and really admire him and uh, <laughs> he said we spend our whole lives trying to slide into death safely to that effect um, Eden and I were talking about Jenny and this was just a few days before I went to the hospital and I just said I don't know what life holds but I, I just I want to do, do this like I'd like to think that our life and death has some kind of meaning, okay? So I end up in the hospital. Um, <laughs> after all the chats, you know, when I start, I, 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 I'll just tell you, I, I never felt a lot in the hospital, good or bad. Uh, when I started waking up, I started getting uh, more and more people giving me that thing about, you know, you're a miracle, God didn't finish with you yet. And it started annoying me. And then the nurses started coming by the night before I left. There was one named Jacob, a younger kid that I just loved. He's like 25, 26, and um, a great, great kid with a great testimony. And uh, I scared him to death because I brushed my teeth and didn't tell him I was doing that. And apparently that messes with your heart monitors and makes it look like you're in the floor dying. And he came in and threw up in the bathroom door, and he goes, and he wanted to kill me, and I thought it was so much fun that I did it again later to somebody else. <laughs> told my cardiologist about it. He goes, yeah, that's always funny when that happens. <laughs> so Jacob and I got close, but Jacob was the first one that said to me, he just said, you know, all of us, the nurses are talking about you, and uh, about once a year we get somebody that isn't supposed to make it, and it reminds us all why we do this. So there's ripple number one, okay? Except I hadn't figured out the ripples thing yet because I hadn't read Ken's book. Um, I had a... Um, I had a... Um, I'm going to more talk about the ripples after this, but uh, one of my friends that came to see me is, we're really close, and he's a deacon at a Baptist church and more, and uh, he came to see me while I was still really coherent and before I went out, and it's like I've been there about two days, and he says, uh, he says, David, I just want to tell you, God didn't finish with you yet. He's kind of told me this. I feel strongly about it. Well, at the time, people are quoting odds to me like, 5% mortality rate, maybe 10 on this surgery I'm about to have. And I'm like, 
well, I got a 90% chance of walking out of here. This ain't no big deal. I was like, but if you want to tell me that, great. I didn't say that. I just kind of thought it. And I kind of figured out from talking to some of my, one of my friends that's a doc that he was probably shading the odds a little bit. And then, you know, he went through her whole ordeal. I was asleep. But uh, Ralph called me earlier this week, <clears throat> and we're going to go hang out next week. But he just said, you remember what I said to you when I came to see you? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I'd kind of forgotten about it. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, my brother, four years ago, had surgery at Baylor, and they were telling him uh, he had the VSD thing that I had. He said, I knew exactly what you had. My brother had the same thing, had a heart attack, had a tear in the septum of his heart, said he was 69 years old, a couple weeks short of his 70th birthday. They told him they thought it was going to be all right, but they weren't sure, and he died 48 hours after the surgery. So he said, when I'm sitting there telling you that, I couldn't tell you why I felt at peace to tell you that because I didn't want you to know about my brother. And I started thinking about that a lot, and I went, I'm thinking about Jenny Kufal, and I was, I think God did that for him and not me. You know, I think it's kind of cool now, but it's an affirmation of I, I think God was working in his life to say, Ripple, you can influence somebody else. Um, I, have a, I had an uncle that passed away in April. Um, his wife, my aunt, calls me every week or so now, and we were close. We love each other. She lost her husband. Somehow she thinks there's this connect between me and her because I spent 30-whatever days in the hospital. I keep saying, I didn't feel any pain. That's my wife. But still, she talks to me, talks about God, cries on my shoulder over the phone line, and uh, ripple, you know? Um, so I'm almost done here. I get to, to, I get to yesterday, and uh, I had two different people give me that line about... Uh, God isn't finished with you yet. And I will tell you that uh, this had been working on me enough, and I talked to Cliff about it, talked to a few other people about it, and <laughs> the theologians are all going, you got to let this go. It's going to drive you crazy. Um, and I can't, you know. Um, I, I just can't. I, and I'm going, yesterday morning, I'm going, God, i got to get some re resolution to how I can process this, not understand your world, but give me something stupid that my mind can understand that will get me past all this. And uh, I'm sitting there at that, that, a funeral yesterday for a friend of our family's who was 63. She passed away. She got sick while I was getting better. And uh, I'm looking around and I'm going, I'm not the only one still here. Um, <laughs> apparently God isn't done with them either. Um, and uh, sure as a world when we're having the reception dinner I'm talking to this couple that's right in front of me that are about my age and the friend who lost his wife that we just buried is right here we're all five feet apart and she said it well God isn't done with you yet and I elaborated on that just a second told her how much it was bothering me and then I looked at my friend who just buried his wife and it was like he had a postcard on his forehead that said I don't get this you know, and I said, Steve, he ain't done with you either, man. You're still standing. And if both of us are still standing, it's not about us. It's about other people. And and, and I'm thinking in my head, it's about the ripples. Um, Cliff got me in John 15 a long time ago, and I hadn't been able to get out of it. <laughs> um, well... And it's, it's time for me to stop because the vocal cords are starting to go, but the mouth, yeah, it's, it's still going. Uh, I will tell you that the first part of John 15, it talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide, 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 okay? 
Um, and then there's this little, in my mind, this bridge segue that says, uh, he says, I tell you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Okay, Chris did me a real big favor in his absence, uh, in Cliff's absence one time and introduced me to Bible Hub. And I'm just, you know, everybody says adult attention deficit disorder. <laughs> I get it. Um, so when I'm reading the Bible with that, it's like I'm just hopping from word to word. And, and uh, one of the Greek things, and I'm not a Greek, I'm not a Greek guy, but I like seeing where it's coming from. One of the definitions on joy is uh, um, recognizing God's grace, basically. Um, and when you start throwing that in there, every place that says joy is the realization of God's grace, not just with us, with other people. Um, and then you go right past that so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He talks about greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. Well, back to the Jenny Kufall thing with me, is I remember talking to God. <laughs> it sounds more spiritual than I am. It's more like looking for answers to the mysteries of the universe. But I, I, it's one of those times when I just got this really subtle. You don't have to uh, have all the answers. And uh, laying down your life isn't always dying for people. It's living for them, too. And uh, the, the only time in all of my not-feeling stuff at the hospital... I had a few times where verses popped into my head, and I've told Cliff this and a few other people. One of the things that jumped in there strong is kind of a why am I still here thing was, you know, I got this mental image of the burning bush from Exodus when God was talking to Moses. And uh, most of the time what I was hearing from God was, just be a bush, man. I'll do all the talking, you know. It's, they'll see what's going on. And that's what I've seen play out in this. And I'm not the only bush out there. And I'm not the only one still standing, guys. I did write notes down. Um, well, first of all, I want to thank everyone for your prayers. Um, I've always been one of those people that thought, yeah, I'll pray. <laughs> and I thought, that it's the last thing you can do. That's the least you could do. Because of the strength I felt, I knew that it was because of your prayers. And so it, it wasn't flippant. It was real when I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your meals. When I would come home from work, <laughs> too tired to move physically and mentally, and there'd be a dinner sitting there for me, and you have, oh, it was wonderful. For your hospital visits, um, for coming and of course, you didn't get to see David, but um, but it meant a lot. And the food baskets and the blankets and the, uh, everything, it means more than, um, than you'll know. Um, he mentioned the moving. We were in the middle of moving and um, for the help with the moving that my cousin Marcina and Helen came over and worked all day. And apparently they had a lot of fun. <laughs> But um, it just means so much. I don't want to miss anything. Um, there were cards and flowers, and you were the hands and feet of Jesus. Like, just completely the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, people have asked me how I got through it. Every morning, 
Um, he was in the hospital for 34 days. 30 of it was in ICU. But every morning, I had a routine. I, um, I got up and I read. There were some verses in um, Psalm 62 and Psalm 63. And they're just, they were highlighted and I would read those every morning. And it was, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My, salva my salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. And there were some other things, but every morning I would read that. And then I would turn to Cliff had, um, not too far long before that, he, um, whoops, no, that's not what happened. Um, I like to pick a book and go through it and read it. And I had, I was in Mark at the time. And um, where was that? I was in my notes. Well, anyway, I was in Mark. Oh, Mark 4. And um, I had, a few weeks before all this happened, I had gone through Jesus calming the storm. And I just loved that story um, when he said, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. And I think that just as he was, I'm pretty sure a pastor could preach a sermon on that. I haven't quite figured out how deep. I think it's deep, but I haven't quite figured it out yet. I'm still working on it. Um, yeah, that he, they took him just as he was. Isn't that so interesting? Um, in the boat... There was a furious squall that came up in it, um, nearly broke him, and, and they were like, huh, where are you? But he was right there. He, he was not worried at all that they were. Um, and then I listened to um, the Bethel version of It Is Well With My Soul. If you, it's on YouTube. It's every morning I listen to that song. And then I did what I, I do a lot. I, I've never told that many people this, but... I read a book like years ago, 15 maybe years ago. It's called The Great House of Prayer, and I don't even remember who wrote it. But they broke apart the Lord's Prayer. Um, like the first verse, the first chapter is on our. <laughs> chapter 2 was on Father. And they break out. And ever since then, I pray the Lord's Prayer a lot. Like, that's... Most mornings, that's what I pray is the Lord's Prayer. And it might take me 30 minutes <laughs> to pray it because of the way, what that book taught me and the Holy Spirit. Just, but um, everything you need in prayer is in the Lord's Prayer. When um, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, that he went into how, God, you just, for today, this is what we need. Um, anyway, it was, so I would pray the Lord's Prayer every morning. Um, and listen to that song. And that's how I got through, was that routine. And the Lord was with me. And most days, um, I, it wasn't routine. Something terrible would happen most days. <laughs> but, but it was that routine. And then the next morning, I'd get up and I'd do it again. And I'd wait for the terrible thing that was somebody was going to tell me. or Anyway, so... Um, about a week or so into it, I was getting pretty tired and feeling very worn out. And 
Cliff, I don't, not too long ago, showed a picture of a guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and he was standing in a terrible weather, and, um, and he just was standing there. And Cliff said, he's staying put. You know, from John 14, he's, he's staying put. That that's what he's doing. It, he believes in what he's doing. He knows, and he's staying put. He's remaining. He's abiding. And um, that picture would come to me. In my, it, it was a great visual, and it, like most days, I would see that soldier, that, the guard, just staying put in that storm that he was in. And it all, you know, went through the, the storm from Mark in the um, It Is Well. Some of the verse, the, what it says is, seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard. And um, through it all, my eyes are on you, and through it all, it is well. And I thought, the only reason it is well with me is because of God's presence. That is the only reason. Um, but, and it talks about, um, so, let, so let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and the wind still know his name. And I did feel like I was in quite a storm, but I knew from, this, from Scripture and from songs that the Holy Spirit put on somebody to write, I knew that God was in the storm. So I was okay. Um, let's see. I, then I had to move a, make a... There's like... Yeah, <laughs> it is a lesson plan. Um, for a long time, I thought, okay, we're in our 40s or 50s. I got to get all this doctrine figured out. I got to figure out cause and allow and effect. And I've got to figure all this out. So when these bad, horrible things start happening to us, our parents die, all these things start happening to us, I'm going to have my ducks in a row. I'm going to figure, I got my do- I've got to figure out the doctrine. You know, this is time of life. We figure it all out so you're ready for when the storms come. And um, I wasn't quite, I wasn't there yet. I wasn't, I didn't have it figured out yet. And what I found out is it's okay. It, I didn't care anymore. I didn't care about doctrine. I didn't care about cause or allow. I didn't care. All I cared about was that God was with me. It was the only thing that mattered, that I had his grace and his mercy on us and his love and his presence and all the doctrine, nothing mattered, but God's presence. So don't worry about figuring everything out. It doesn't matter. Um, Okay, Cliff's always saying that, um, you know, when did you figure out control was illusion? I thought, yes, I've raised crazy boys in their teens and 20s. I I get it. Um, Well, I didn't. I mean, there's a deeper level still that I didn't understand. I'm sure there's still more, but... um, but I do realize that God's in control. Well, okay, that he's um, charge. He's in charge <laughs> because, um, because we do live in a fallen world. Our bodies are very feeble and susceptible to disease, um, especially when we talk of bueno um, too much. <laughs> but um, stop, you can't tie it and talk while you're talking. <laughs> and I wanted to. I know where the switch is. But I do um, want you to, um, I ask for your continued prayers. David is doing awesome. Um, 
physically. when we physically when we go into the doctor and they all it's kind of the same reaction for our appointments after the follow-ups and we'll leave and we'll they didn't think I was going to make it, did they? I said, no, they didn't. No, they, they send, like, people that work in the office by because they've read yeah, my nurse, stuff. Yeah, nurses will and they come wanna put, in. they want to put a face with a train wreck, they'll, you like, know? they'll come in and they'll make up some reason to come in. And they're like, we just really wanted to see you, yeah. <laughs> what you looked like. They'll, they'll, they'll walk in and say, did you take your blood pressure this morning? And they're sitting there looking at you and like, yeah. And they go, okay, leave. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do ask for your continued prayers for direction or life. Um David had a pretty stressful job, um, hard work, um, building is hard, and uh, what's funny is he had decided before it all happened. Oh, that's the other thing. God was really working where we didn't know. There was um, a situation with our house that had gone a different direction than I had wanted to um, as far as financing had gone, and I moped around for a week. I was so mad. And... Um, it was the perfect thing. Yeah, just to, suffice it, to say, the timing of my heart situation with balancing all of our financial stuff and work stuff was really good. I mean, well, except for, I told him, I mean, those first days I except thought... y'all had to move me. Well, and I thought, there could not have been a worse time for this. It was, school was starting. Like, I, it was two days before back-to-school night. And the other thing was, last year I taught third grade. Third grade's a very stressful year to teach. you got to teach those kids to read to pass that dumb test, and, um, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, it's a very stressful, time-consuming job, and just less, just a few weeks before school started, the principal called, and I got to move to second, which, I mean, you just, you, there's, it's much less pressure. They do ball, but, any, but anyway, um, <laughs> their graders don't ball Me telling anymore. her to focus, that's funny. <laughs> Anyway, the Lord was working, but what the continued prayers are, David does need a new career path. And so we are, you would pray with that, love for you to pray with us on that, that we would um, see a new direction in our lives open up. I said, David, I said, I told him in the hospital, I said, our old life, it ended on August 15th. Usually seasons of life end over, you know, you'll be going through some, you just wake up one day and think, oh. Over the last few years, that season ended. I'm in a new season. Ours ended in an hour. Mm-hmm. Ours, we had a season end and a new one begin. And I said, don't worry about it, because I think this one's even going to be better than the last one. So um, just continue to pray for us. We thank you for your prayers and continue to pray. Thank i got to throw 30 seconds more in here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, she made me think of something else. Um, you're talking about this prayer thing, and I, I threw this out there in humor, and a couple of my friends liked it a bunch, but uh, I talked about the not being able to feel stuff in the hospital, and it wasn't a bad thing, but I, I, when I woke up from my extended sleep, the Rip Van Winkle thing is like eight days later, and it, it, I go through all day Saturday, and I, I don't know if it was Saturday night, or there was a couple days there where I didn't sleep at all, and uh, I remember sitting there like 48 hours into that, and I'm looking up at the ceiling and all this stuff connected to me. And I, I don't remember what all was still connected, but I, I remember I'd been talking to God, like, not really the where are you thing, but I remember I, I kind of, in my head, I was going, Lord, I really need to get some sleep. Like, I haven't slept in about 48 hours. And I heard this real calming, and maybe it's your imagination, but this real calming, you'll get plenty of sleep when you need it. There's like a 30-second pause, and I, I feel this. And just how much sleep do you need, dude? You've been asleep eight days. <laughs> 
And uh, last thing I'll tell you, and this is regarding the prayer thing, and the, this is my closing ripple. You can do this if you want to. Uh, that kid from your school. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I'm going to oh. get it wrong. <laughs> oh, I was just telling him the other day that the speech pathologist at our school, um, you know, she'd been concerned from, a, I, you know, noticed post on Facebook that she was praying and she came up to me this week and she said, you know, I want you to know that um, every night our family prays together and we, we take it very serious. She said, my third grade son has just taken hold of this, of David. Mm. He prays for him and has ever since all this started. He has prayed for David, uses his name every single day. This little third grader, he's been wanting to know. Um, we I let him come to the carnival at our school. If we promise not to touch any kids. But um, he came and the little boy stood back and he and the mom said is that him oh he was just so excited that a prayer that i mean what that little boy what a great thing for him to see that prayer does god does hear and answer our prayers and what a great thing that that little boy yeah she said she said that i can do this loud enough i'm I'm still good um she 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 said did you see that little kid that was dressed like elvis at the the carnival i'm going yeah, he's following me around like a stalker. And, I mean, it was like everywhere I looked, I got little Elvis going. And, and, and she told me that story. I was like, wow, that's cool. All right. Thanks for uh, riding along with us. Hope we didn't hold you up. Sorry to steal your hand. I got it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I got that. Well, Our, you can use that next week. I can. Great. Hey, let's pray. No kidding. And we do thank you for praying. You know, we... We call the class to prayer, I mean, in a, in a dramatic way, because of the seriousness of this. As Dave told you, he had a 5% chance to survive. Ken was lying when he told me 30, because Ken didn't want me to know, because it was that sad. It was that bad. Uh, and uh, this is uh, just one of the things that we rejoice in. We don't know why. Dave and I have talked about this. We don't know why. So don't ask us, okay? Don't ask for a why or what the deal is here. We don't know. What we are is grateful. What we are is thankful. What we are is continuing to pray. So let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you again for this wonderful example of your work in our lives. Not all of us have this testimony. Not all of us have this outcome. But we know that you're active and working in lives and people in ways that are, as we see now, unseen. Help us with all of our lives to have that effect of rippling through life. And then again, Lord, we we just ask that you would guide and direct David and Eden in the future for Dave's career, for something that will match well him. And pray, Lord, that that you will just guide them and direct them uh, in so many different ways that it will be very obvious. For the rest of us who may be carrying issues or burdens or long-term prayers, Would you encourage us to continue to pray, to not have a bunch of answers, to not have a bunch of explanations, but as Eden said, just to know that you're with us and that we would continue, that we would continue to look to you and trust you. Father, we we are in the midst of life as you know, and our experience is something you know all about because it says you were tempted in every way and tested in every way we were, yet without sin. So would you guide us and help us in Jesus' strong and mighty name.
Amen. Amen. Now, I got a lot here. <laughs> I'm not going to do it, though. But this idea, <clears throat> I just want to give you a little information about tomorrow, if I can. It'll take about five minutes. Uh, it's always interesting to me, uh, as David said, the ripple effect. The ripple. How our lives have an effect on people and sometimes we don't even know and sometimes we're not even aware of. Tomorrow will be a day that a lot of people uh, will celebrate or begin the process of a Halloween. And I understand that. It's all Hallow's Eve. And I just want to ask you to remember something about this day tomorrow, just so it's in your conscious, conscious mind. Um, that uh, churches all across America today are celebrating the ripple effect of a guy named Martin Luther. There was a guy named Martin Luther who was a German monk who his life and his legacy we should celebrate, in my judgment, tomorrow. On October 31st, 1517, in Wittenberg, Germany, a monk named John Wesley, John Wesley, he's three foot, yeah, he's always there. Uh, Martin Luther, Martin Luther had come to the point of having 95 called theses, some people call objections, but it could be points of discussion as it related to the practice and life of the Roman Catholic Church. He was in the church, he was a monk, he was a priest, he was, if you will, a part of the team that said there are these 95, you can Google these now, they're on the internet all over the place, these 95 concerns that Luther had. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to me that when I grew up in the church, I never knew this. Uh, my church didn't know much about church history, didn't celebrate it much, and didn't know that this happened on October 31st to celebrate the beginning of the Reformation. Now, the reason he did that was is because on the next day, on November the 1st, is All Saints Day. And in the Roman Catholic tradition, it is a day that everybody's just about required to go to church. Just about everybody. He knew that there would be thousands of people that would show up and would see, if you will, his concerns. Now, this all, uh, if you will, this process, and we're going to just talk about this for a couple minutes, and we're going to go, I promise. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm a, uh, well, here we go. Here we go. I'm ADD, you know, so. Um, what's interesting about this is the, is the life experience. I'm going to give you his life real quick. Luther entered the priesthood as a young man after studying law. I guess he thought he'd gone as deep into sin as he could. And then, <laughs> sorry about that, Lars. And then uh, went into the priesthood for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is he'd had several friends in college die. Uh, he was caught also in an electrical storm one night, and it scared the living daylights out of him. And he vowed to God that night that he would actually go in the priesthood if he survived. And Luther, being the determined human being, if you ever anything about his life, you would know he's going to follow that through. But Luther, in his own words, wrote this. He said, he entered the priesthood not to study theology, but to save his soul. Luther did not enter the priesthood to study theology, but to save his soul. He had grown up in a town of, of uh, uh, Manfeld, where he grew up remembering seeing a picture of a frowning Jesus, always looking at him through the stained glass at the church. He had practiced, if you will, this uh, fear of God all of his life. And when he became a priest, it says here, he practiced the duties of priesthood with unusual rigor and determination. 
he took advantage of the sacrament of, of confession, where in the Roman Catholic Church, you go to confess your sins. They say that he went so often to confess his sins. He would confess for hours on end. And when he was walking back to his room, he would remember something else and go back. His superior said this to him, stop confessing your sins and come to us when you have a sin worth confessing. <laughs> I want you to understand this guy. He is racked by fear. He is, he is constant in the sense of not believing that he can please God or do enough. Luther has a conversation with a man named Staupitz. It's a good German name. A priest named Staupitz. And Staupitz is very concerned for Luther and says to him, Luther, you need to quit looking at your sins. And he makes this statement, look to the wounds of Jesus. Look to the wounds of Jesus. And Luther said to Staupitz, how can I know about those wounds? How can I, this may seem amazing to you. How can I know and hear God to say that to me, to look to the wounds of Jesus? And Staupitz said, read the Bible. Now, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But Luther says in his own life that before he entered the priesthood, he hardly ever read the Bible. Now, remember, this is the time of Gutenberg. They're beginning to print Bibles now. They're beginning to that, but it's not that widespread, and he does not have access to the Bible. And so Staupitz says to him, you look to the wounds of Christ. Now, I'm going to just stop here just as a little application. I've met people over my lifetime that I would say are, are afflicted in the same way Luther is, that when they think about their life, they see their sin in such magnitude, it's almost overwhelming. Let me, let me tell you what the devil's doing to people like that. Like Luther, it's this. Like, take a pen. You have a pen? Take a pen right here and look at it and tell me, do you think that pen is, is bigger than I am, taller than I am? Do you think that, Princess Consuela? You know, do you think that pen is bigger than I am? No, watch this. Here's, here's what the enemy did to Luther and what he'll do to you. Put that pen up right up here in front of your face as close as you can and look at that pen and now look at me. How big does that pen look? Huh? Huge, doesn't it? Listen, this is it. The devil will magnify your sin so to minimize the blood of Jesus. I'll say it again. The devil in Luther's life did it. He will magnify your sin so he can minimize the power of the blood. He's not going to tell you that the blood of Jesus doesn't work. He's going to say yours is too big. He's not going to, he's, he, he's more orthodox. He knows theology better than that. He knows that the blood of Jesus, but yours is just a little too big. So he will magnify your sin so he can minimize the effect or the power of the blood of Jesus. So watch that. I'm telling you, I've met people over time. I've been one of those persons that I had such a sin consciousness and Luther carried this with him day in and day out. And Stalpit says to him, you need to look to the wounds of Jesus. Look to the wounds of Jesus and see there the answer to your sin. Uh, one, one guy said uh, that Luther, if you will, or Luther made, him, Luther made this statement after he comes to this freedom. He said, had there ever been a monk, and he said this, I'm not making this up. If there ever had been a monk who could be saved by his monkery, it would have been me. Yeah, it, I, he practiced monkery better than anybody else. 
So Luther's life, he begins to read. And here's the verse we'll come back in a week or so and read. Luther reads this verse in Romans when it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That verse started the process of Luther's change in life to say, The just don't live by penance. The just don't live by works. The just, the righteous, that word there is derivative, live by faith. Now I want to tell you a story about him and then we'll look at these later. Luther's in this process now. Staupitz has told him, read the Bible. There's some pictures of, not pictures, but paintings in Germany of Luther pouring over the scripture, reading it. His whole soul and life is in the balance. He knows it. He has the opportunity to go to Rome. And he goes to Rome with great anticipation to think, maybe if I go to Rome, maybe if I can attend a mass in Rome, maybe if I can experience God's forgiveness in Rome, like Stalpitz talked about the wounds of Jesus, maybe that'll fix it. He goes to Rome and he's stunned by the sacrilege of the priests. He writes in his works that he could not believe. He said he was at one point in a mass himself serving the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And he says the priest next to him is saying in Latin, hurry, hurry, hurry. Let's send Jesus back to his mother. Just think about that now. The body of Christ has now become the transubstantiated presence of, in, the, in the mass. How sacrilegious. To say, let's send the son, Jesus, back to his mother. Let's get this over with. Luther was stunned at the sense of sacrilege. Instead of being a place where he could find peace and harmony and hope with God, he finds it. He, he, he said he heard the priest laughingly say in Latin, because over the, the bread and the cup in Roman Catholic theology, it becomes the actual blood of Jesus and the body of Christ, or that transubstantiation. They said, this bread you are and bread you shall always be. Wine you are and wine you shall always be. He was stunned. One of the last things he did was there is a staircase called the Scalia Sancta, the, the Holy Stairs in Rome. If any of you ever been there, it's reported to be the steps to the to the, to the judgment seat of Pilate where Jesus walked up and uh, it reported, you know, it's a medieval uh, a theology or idea. We don't, don't, nobody knows if it is. But there was the, the uh, on, that, on those steps were stains that were thought to have been the blood of Jesus. And so in Roman Catholic teaching, they taught that if you go up the Sancta Scalia on your knees and as you pray and as you kiss those places of what looks like stain, you receive special grace to be forgiven of all your sins. So Luther does it. Luther starts up the stairs on his knees and praying, our Father, or Hail Mary full of grace, the Lord be with you. Praying a prayer all the way up. At some point in Luther's mind and heart, remember he's been studying Romans He's been reading the Bible. He's, he, this is sort of like his last hope that he can be relieved of his 
fear and he relieved of his sin. And so he's praying and, and kissing those spots on that concrete slab of the steps. He tells in his own life and story, he said, as he was going up that, those steps, the words from Romans, the just shall live, not by fear. The just shall live, not by confession. The just shall live by faith. Folks, at that moment, Luther stood up and walked down those steps. And forever since then, the understanding of the Reformation, the rallying cry of the Reformation has been the just, the righteous, they live by faith. I would have loved to have been there that day to see Luther stand up in his little garb of that German monk with that burlap sack they called a robe. Stand up with his monkish haircut that looks somebody like put a bowl on his head and shaved it all around him. When that man stood up on that day, something in the heavens broke. Something on the earth changed. Something in the world of Christianity shifted when he courageously stood up and said, the just shall live by faith. And that's what we celebrate tomorrow. That little monk who with the courage that God gave him to be willing to say, this is what the scriptures tell us. It's this recovery of this truth that the just if we're going to be in right relationship with God, it's by faith. That's tomorrow. So I want to ask you to think about doing something tomorrow. We're, we're, we're out of here. What if you'd gather your family Monday and thank God for Martin Luther tomorrow? I mean, I know we're going to have kids in the neighborhood and we're turning our lights off and, you know, so they won't come to our house. But... <laughs> Little knuckleheads. <laughs> I caught some guys one time. I said, you've been back. You've been here before. He go, You're the first guy to figure that out. I said, I I'm cheap. Okay. Get out of here. <laughs> You've already been here. Turn the hat around sideways and think you're fooling me. Come on. Who do you think you are? But you know what? Churches all around the world today are celebrating this. They're remembering. They're remembering this incredibly important. Luther said it this way, that the doctrine of being right with God by faith, every other doctrine in the church hinges on it. If you lose this one, you'll lose them all. If you lose this one, everything crumbles. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make John, uh, Martin Luther, <laughs> Martin Luther, I'm not trying to elevate him except that God used him to start something to begin a renewal, a reformation that I just, I, I don't mind giving candy out tomorrow, but I want to remember something significant and spiritual that happened. And then on Tuesday, I want to ask you to think about this. The, the, the Catholic Church still practices called All, All Saints Day. They thank God for all the saints and all the people that had lived before. Would you take the name of one person that you know that's been a follower of Jesus that's had an impact on your life? Would you, would you just think of one person on Tuesday and thank God for them? It may be a parent. It may be a friend. It may be somebody in this room. But to say on All Saints Day, the day everybody read Luther's 95 Theses, I'm going to thank God for someone in my life 
who made a difference. God bless you. Get out of here. Go to church. We'll see you later. We'll finish this later.